For more than four years, the director of the museum's film library, John Evans Abbott, and his curator, Iris Barry, have been gathering together a vast and significant collection of motion picture films, milestones in the progress of the youngest and liveliest of the arts. Here, preserved for all time, are old negatives through which the people and the customs of an age long past will live forever. This modern world of science and invention is of particular interest to women. Hello and welcome to Lady History, the good, the bad, and the ugly ladies you missed in history class. Hey Lexi, are you bossy or are you the boss? And how much do you hate that saying? I hate when people call women bossy or also say like boss lady or girl when people, boss. yeah, girl boss, um, especially when it's associated with MLMs, um, multi-level marketing schemes. But I think that it's even worse when people equate bossy and bitchy. Mm. So I would like to say I hate that word and I'm neither of those things. I am a leader and I inspire people and I try to uplift those around me, but I am not bossy. And I hate when people are like girl boss. And Haley, what do you want to see a movie about? I've been meaning to get my hands on Little Women, like the 2020 version. I think I'm going to go to the library and get a DVD of it. So that's kind of like what I want to see. I don't, I'm not creative enough at this point to just pull one. But you want to see a movie about but, women? Yeah. And I'm Alana, and The Mummy 1999 made me bisexual. And now here is an interview with a very special guest. Hello, we have another uh, guest, our first guest in a while. It's my sister, Erica, whose name is not Dave, but it is Dave, but it's not Dave who is a recent graduate of television, radio, and film program. So we're talking about directors. We're going to have a a guest talk about directors. And Haley has a question for us to start with. Yes. This is more of a clarification. Also, not assuming we all know terminology. Is filmmaker the same thing as director? And this came up with my research with my lady, that they were kind of used the same or just used filmmaker. I think it depends. This is actually interesting. They don't actually teach us that. I think directing is very much just visual. Whereas when I think of filmmaking, I think of like producing maybe and directing, but filmmaking as in being involved in the creation of film, which isn't necessarily just the cinematography. So I think filmmaker is more broad in general. Does that answer your question, Haley? Yeah, that's kind of what I was looking for. What inspired you to be a director slash who? Me? As Mm -hmm. a person? A director? Yeah. Well, I think that's so kind of crazy to think about that I'm not a student anymore. What inspired me? That's a great question. Well, I mean, you remember when we would make those stupid films when we were kids. With, um, we had a production company. It was called My Feet Productions. My Feet Productions. (laughs) My Feet Productions for all our foot fetish listeners and if you have one don't listen I think there's a power to filmmaking to use the broad term and directing is a way to directly put your view into something and to make something happen and I mean we all love watching like tv and films like I don't think I've ever met someone who's like I don't like watching maybe some people can't handle it for a long time but I think we all get something out of it I get something out of making it 
what inspired me to do that is just, I guess, my own enjoyment of it. Who are the female or lady or woman directors who you look up to? Flash, are there any, or is that a commentary on the state of the industry? It was the first director that I ever almost remembered. It was the director of The Hurt Locker. And I remember her, I can't think of her name for the life of me, but Catherine it was something, right? Yeah, it was Catherine something. It's Catherine and Bigelow. I think she broke ground. And that was when I recognized formally as a child, I don't remember what year that was, that, you know, women could do things and be recognized for them. So I definitely look up to her as I would love to make strides for women in film because we need recognition. I like Quentin Tarantino, but I think he has a weird style and I think it's fun and you're always like on your toes and he plays with time, which like, I don't know, I think it's cool, but you're always surprised. And I love when a movie surprises me since, you know, I spent so much time learning about structure. And so it's very hard to surprise me in film because it's like, oh, I know what has to happen at this minute of this movie um, when it does a twist and a turn that gets me. And I think Tarantino does that. What's your favorite movie? You can only pick one and your favorite TV show of all time. You have to pick one of each. No, like rambling a long list. I know that's hard, but you okay. got to narrow it down. My answer is vaguely embarrassing. I'll tell you what it is. Love it. My favorite movie of all time, Dead Honest, Ratatouille. Favorite if movie. I ever had to do a TED Talk, it would be about why Ratatouille is the best movie of all time from like a film student perspective. Favorite like low-key whatever show, New Girl. It's my emotional support show. Okay. Everyone needs one. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. As a realistic human being who has a film degree, The Sopranos. Okay. So maybe you could guess that the next question is the two-parter. Least favorite movie of all time. Least favorite TV show of all time. Like who just got it wrong? Interesting. I've had the misfortune of seeing a lot of terrible things. The worst movie I've ever seen to this day is a movie called Battlefield Earth, starring one John Travolta. <laughs> and the whole plot line is like, these gods destroyed the earth. And so now they're back to being like, the surviving humans are like, feral, sort of. Or not like feral, but they're like, tribes people again but like main guy like growls a lot it's really weird and then the gods come back but they're like aliens and then they're trying to like kill all the humans terrible doesn't make any sense goes on for like two and a half hours or something stupid I had to watch it for class actually as an example of what not to do I was just gonna say <laughs> was an example of what not to do yeah yeah they yeah. said do not do this um it was terrible absolutely negative 300 out of 10 do not recommend Okay, let's think. Worst TV show? This might upset people. This might be a dramatic answer. I think Riverdale was a <laughs> shit show. The next question I had was actor or actress that you would cast like in your dream production. Like if you were making something, doesn't really matter what it is. Like it can be adapted for this actor or actress, but who would you love to work with on screen? Carrie Washington. Oh, yes! Raise high, raise high, raise high the blue. I'm gonna I knew my audience here. <laughs> I never liked a single thing she's been in. This but is I making think me cringe. She has such an ability to make you feel a way about her character. 
okay now you're changing my opinion about her with one smooth move that's true (laughs) thank you I have a degree um I think it's I think it's because like in Little Fires Everywhere I remember being so upset and I was like (laughs) I hate her character why do I hate Carrie Washington yeah that's what I've been feeling because there have been so many things where I've just hated what she's been in and I'm like okay it's but she made you do that yeah damn it okay I like her talented as hell yeah Okay, so that brings me to Little Fires Everywhere. Did you like, yeah. like do you ever like read the book first or what, watch the movie TV show first? Like what's um, your method of madness there? It depends. I usually prefer to read the book first. In the case of Little Fires Everywhere, I did not read the book. I still haven't read the book. I think if I read the book now, I'd just be really pissed off because I didn't like a single person in that show. Okay, what's a classic that needs to be remade that like could be done better with today's technology and the advancements? Ooh, like a classic movie that should be remade? Yeah. Interesting. I would love to see a remake of like classic Disney movies, but hear me out. Remake, change the story. So like Snow White fills me with a burning rage that could light up the night sky. So I would love to see a remake where Snow White is an autonomous human being. How about a classic that is so timeless? And should never be remade. Don't touch it. Don't touch it. A classic that is timeless. We'll never need to remake it. They better not try and remake it. Or gender swap the characters, you know, that kind of stuff. I have an answer, I think. Depending on your definition of classic, The Princess Bride. I would say that's a classic. If you could adapt any lady from lady history, and I know you don't listen to every episode or anything, so you can like look at our Instagram if you need inspiration. Or I guess it could be a lady from women's history we haven't covered. Who would you adapt for movies from the ladies? We've done 47 episodes, so throw out a woman and- We've probably done her. Well- we try and be a little obscure and do like, you know, we try not okay. to be all Harriet Tubman's and Amelia Earhart's. I was going to say, a lot of them have been made. There's so many. Yeah. But who would make like, whose story would translate well onto the screen? Maybe like Elizabeth Cady Stanton. I think her story is cool. A first wave feminism movie. A first wave feminism movie. I think we could all benefit. Expose some of the weird little bit of racist stuff that she did. Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. I didn't know there was racist stuff. I don't really know that much. That's concerning. Maybe Um, you should listen to Lady History. (laughs) This whole question has been an ad. (laughs) (laughs) No answer for that. They're like less than half an hour now. Don't listen to the first one. It's not good. The first five are bad disagree i think the first one is bad and then we got a little bit better and then we just like kept getting better you know which i think our first really good one was six you should listen to episode is it is two lady pirates yeah not because i think we good it did a good job but because my brother and i have discussed this question long before lady history was a thing and we talked about like who from history would you make a movie and the woman i cover in that episode is the person we mutually agreed if we ever started like the sims sibling production studios that's what we'd throw our money behind um the the woman i covered in that episode listen maybe you can steal our idea 
do the women pirate i want i want that as a movie thanks for coming on erica this was fun i hope you start listening to the podcast we also we have a lot of fun on the podcast (laughs) and if you find any of those old movies let me know because i don't know if they're currently in a format that we can actually watch them but i think they're on actual i think they're on like little video tape okay bye guys to hear the extended cut of this interview please follow us on patreon Very short story again because there isn't much information on this line is too don't worry i mean this is probably the first time i have a story that is a single paragraph and that is because the english language sources for this woman are lacking in fact the only english language sources that i could find are imdb and feminismindia.com so if anyone has other info on this lady um i would be happy to do an update on this story later or you know, throw in some extra sources if anyone knows anything about her or if anyone could translate any of the sources that are in um, Urdu, I think is the language they're in because she's Muslim Indian. Is Urdu the language? Isn't that the language? There are sources in other languages that are languages that are unfamiliar to me. So if you know those languages and there's more information on her I should include, please let me know. That was a really long way of saying that this story is short because there weren't a lot of sources. So today I'm talking about Fatma Begum. And uh, she was born in 1892 into a Muslim Indian family in India. And she started her career as a stage actor working in Urdu language plays, and she was trained in theater. In 1922, she entered the film industry and began directing silent films as India's first female film director. She is most well known for her fairy tale style and elaborate effects using camera tricks to convince people that there was magic happening. In particular, she gained fame for her film, Bool Bool a Paristan, which had a huge budget and fantastic special effects, which simulated a magnificent fairy world because Paristan in her language means like fairy tale land or fairy land. She started a production studio of her own called Victoria Fatma Films. And in doing so, she actually became India's first female to open a production studio. And this was a huge accomplishment because in the early 20th century in India, men dominated the industry. In fact, most Indian films at the time cast male actors to play female roles in drag. So it was a big deal that a woman was making movies in an industry where women weren't even really playing women. Fatma was not only a director, but she was also an actress, scriptwriter, and full-time mom. She even cast her daughters in some of her films and like nurtured their acting career. After 16 eventful years in the industry, she actually decided to retire. 16 years was enough for her. And her three daughters actually continued her legacy, all acting in films after she retired. And one of her daughters actually became the first Indian actress to star in a talkie. So the mom was the first woman to direct a silent film and the daughter was the first actress to star in a talkie in in their country. It's very cool. Fatma lived to be 91 and she passed away in 1983 of natural causes. That is literally all I know about her. I wish that there's something. Her yeah, career cool. was short, so she made like a bunch of like silent films, but that like that was her focus and that that was yeah. what her life was about. So
So remember that first question with Erica that I asked, is there a difference between filmmaker and director? Well, Lottie Reinger is a director, but also is called a filmmaker. Just a lot of words. She produced animated film. So even animator came up a lot. Anywho, I am very excited about this story because I never knew that it was her behind this type of animated film. And I'm going to jump right into it because I read an article I really liked. So I wanted to give that a shout out. And it's the New York Times series called, quote, Overlooked. And it's a collection of obituaries about remarkable people that went unreported previously in the Times. I'm just going to kind of go bit by bit of what I liked specifically of that article and Lottie. Lottie is known for her animated films. And yes, this is before Disney. Disney heyday or beginning of its heyday was 40s, 50s, a little bit before. Her trademark style was silhouette animation. So we've seen this even in Disney and we've seen this in other forms of animation today. But this means you can only see the characters as black silhouettes and how the black lighting plays with the cutout. And it's inspired by shadows or shadow play. And she learned this way-ish of animation from school. It's a very heavily German name. So I'm sorry for this butchered pronunciation. Charlottenburgen Waldustenlein. You can look it up on the New York Times. It's in the show notes. And the specific animation is Schlerin Schreinite. Again, German. I do not know German at all. And it's the art of cutting out shapes and designs with paper and scissor. It was originally an art form in China, but later became very popular in Germany. Lottie practiced by cutting silhouettes of people, which included lots of cuts of her family members. I couldn't find if these cuts of her family members or if she continued to cut people from like her personal life and insert them into her animated film. Because how cool would that be if you just looked and they're like, oh, that's my dad. I put my dad into this film because I could. So a little more about the intricacies of making these. She would have to cut out every little piece out of black cardboard and join them together with thin lead and like wire hinges, making sure that you cannot see the wire puppets because it's supposed to be kind of like free. And also what I'm assuming, because I've done some silhouettes at art camp, this is how like I knew of the silhouette shadow play for film. Even if like the cardboard is bent or like you could see there's something fraying or like a cut was off, the way the light hits it, it's very noticeable. So this had to be very precise. She was very particular of having this lifelike effect, especially because you would take a photo, move a piece, take another photo. And when you strung the images together, it would make a running natural moving photo. And that's how they made old film as well. And I think Coraline was made in this claymation where they would have the clay figurines take a photo and keep doing it. So it's not art of film that is completely lost. In the New York Times article, she described her own process. And the quote is, Rainier described her process this way. Figures and backgrounds are laid out on a glass table. A strong light from underneath makes the wire hinges disappear and throws up the black figures in relief. The camera hangs above the table, looking down at the picture arranged below. In 1939, this issue of Sight and Sound magazine, Lottie said, quote, I began to use my silhouettes 
for my play acting, constructing a little shadow theater in which to stage Shakespeare. One of my favorite parts of this article was that the stats in regards to the 1926 silent film, The Adventures of Prince Ahmed, which is an adaptation of The Arabian Nights. It's racist. It's a little racist. If you know the story of The Arabian Nights and how some people portrayed it, like, and when I say a little racist, it's racist. It's filled with very much. We'll cover that in my I Dream of Genie retrospective after I finish uh, watching the series and we do a Patreon on that. So look at the Patreon for that. This is just a direct quote because I think the article said it best. Ryanger's editing was meticulous, starting with more than 250,000 frames. She and her crew would use just over 100,000 frames in the film, which ran for an hour and 21 minutes, each second requiring 24 frames. It took three years to complete and, the, and premiered in the Volksbügen or People's Theater in Berlin when Ranger was 27. That's three years out and I've done nothing as cool. And this was also one of the first full-length animated films ever produced. Tezuko Sakane was born on December 7th, 1904, a Sagittarius like Lexi and the special guest that we had today. Erika is also a Sag queen. But Tezuko Sakane was born in Kyoto, Japan, into a wealthy business-type family uh, who were kind of involved in the film industry. She did go to college, but her parents, mostly her stepmother, pressured her to drop out and get married when she was 20, which she did. You know, it was the, it was the 1920s, and that was just kind of the thing that you did. But her arranged marriage was to a gynecologist who cheated on her, and they divorced after four years. Instead of getting remarried, as was expected of her, in 1929, her father got her what was essentially an unpaid internship with Nikatsu Studio as Kenji Mizoguchi's assistant, uh, where she did things like help actors memorize lines. And this was at a transitional phase in Japanese cinema. Sometimes films were silent, sometimes they weren't. The first movie Tezuko ever worked on was called, quote, Mistress of a Foreigner, and was a part talkie, so a, a hybrid silent film talkie. That entire movie was totally unpaid, but the director liked her so much that he asked her to come back for his next movie and paid her for that one. On the second movie, she had to do a lot more like physical activities, like climbing ladders, which are uncomfy and difficult to do in a kimono, so she cut her hair short and started wearing pants. We love dressing for comfort and ease. In 1932, both Tezuko and her director buddy moved to Tokyo for a new studio and Tezuko started editing Mizuguchi's movies. So now she's like assistant director and editor. After working for Mizuguchi as assistant director, screenwriter and editor, Tezuko wanted to direct her own movies and petitioned the studio for a promotion. And rumors started immediately that Tezuko and Mizuguchi were having an affair and she didn't get the promotion. In 1936, she followed Mizoguchi back to Kyoto, where she finally got her first chance to direct. Tezuko did not get to pick the script, which was called New Year's Finery, about a doomed romance between a geisha in training and a monk-to-be, uh, and the movie panned. For promotion of the film, the studio released an article about Tezuko's private life that ridiculed her and her divorce. It kind of implied that, like, ooh, are you even, are you, like, still a virgin? Because people are dumb. Excuse me? <laughs> just like the rudeness seeping yeah. from this article she's probably not even a 
virgin virgin but like in a bad way because she was married for four years so it was like oh are you wouldn't it not that i agree with this but wouldn't it be more of a publicity like thing if it's like she was married for four years and it wasn't real because she's yeah. still a virgin. Like, what? Well, yeah. Know. Wouldn't you expect someone who's been married for four years to have That's had why I don't sex? understand. And also, the whole concept no. of a virgin is a dumb social construct that we need to move Thank past. You. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> this is why I don't understand how, like, paparazzi and, like, celebrity stuff works. And, yeah. like, it's been happening for a very long time, clearly, because that's a double-edged sword right there. That's true. The bad reviews of this movie said that she was just copying Mizoguchi. It was not a good time. Even though the film did badly, it made Tezuko Sakane Japan's first female director. There wouldn't be another one until Tanaka Hinuyo in 1953. But she didn't want to make that movie. She wanted to make movies about women doing things and being cool. Historical context that will be relevant in a minute. Uh, July 1937 saw the outbreak of the second Sino-Japanese War. That's war between China and Japan. And so media censorship was heightened. Keep that in your brains for a sec while I get to it. In 1940, Tezuko left her longtime creative partner for the Tokyo Riken Film Company, where she got to make a documentary about the Ainu, uh, an indigenous ethnic minority group in Northern Japan. She spent eight months with them, very anthropologist of her, but her documentary film, Fellow Citizens in the North, was denied release because it hurt the image of an ethnically homogeneous Japan which would not have been so good for the war times based on the other propaganda that the state had already put out. So Tezuko had to turn her first documentary project into war propaganda. And there was like narrative dissimilarities. And so the movie did badly. The odds are really stacked against our girl here. In 1942, Tezuko joined the Manchuria Film Association in Manchukuyo, which is today Northeastern China, but was considered to be a Japanese quote puppet state uh, and started making education educational documentaries for both Chinese and Japanese audiences. Originally, they targeted mostly male audiences, but my girl Tezuko came in and was like, what if girls too? She was quickly promoted to director and made at least 14 films between 1942 and 1946. However, only her 1943 documentary, Brides of the Frontier, is still extant. And that film was about like, it was kind of like encouraging women to move to Manchuria and marry these farmers. All right. It's possible that the Red Army at the end of World War II approached Tezuko to be like, hey, you want to make some uh, Sino-Soviet friendship propaganda? But there's no record of the film. And Tezuko wrote that she didn't, quote, have any political leaning and that she was, quote, only a film worker, which you're dope as shit, Tezuko, but nothing is neutral. When in guys October... put apolitical on Bumble. <laughs> it's true. Let's be real. Um, she just said that because she was a woman at a time of extreme conflict in a nation that is one of the most misogynistic nations in the world. Very true. In October of 1946, she returned home to Kyoto, but had to go back to being Mizoguchi's assistant because in Japan, she had to have a college degree to be a director. Fun how that all circles back around. It's possible that she was a lesbian, because she was very interested in lesbian subcultures and liked hanging out with women. But you know what? So does Haley. So that doesn't mean anything to me. Talk to me when she's a girlfriend. I don't have labels. Maybe she didn't have labels either. Maybe she didn't have labels either. Maybe she just likes people. Yeah. Maybe she just likes hanging around women. I do. Yeah. It doesn't mean anything, but Tezuko Sakane died 
September 2nd, 1975, of gastric cancer, which is too bad. But she totally revolutionized Japanese cinema and, like, was a pioneer in so many ways. Talk about women who wear pants. I was just thinking about that episode the other day. You can find this podcast on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram at Lady History Pod. Our show notes and a transcript of this episode and our merch will be on ladyhistorypod.com. If you like the show, leave us a review or follow us on Patreon. And if you don't like the show, keep it to yourself. Our logo is by Alexia Ibarra. You can find her on Instagram at girlbum.productions. Our theme music is by me, GarageBand, and Amelia Earhart. Lexi is doing the editing. You will not see us, and we will not see you, but you will hear us next time on Lady History. Next week on Lady History, it's our birthday. Can you believe that we've been in your ears for already a year now? Because I can't. No, I can't, because I've been looking at the schedule this whole time. But next week (laughs) is our birthday.